Hello, my name is Chiara Giorgetti, and I am a professor of law at Richmond Law School. Today, I'm here to speak about International Claims Commission, a flexible and innovative dispute resolution mechanism with deep historical roots. Specifically, I would like to talk about the common characteristics of International Claim Commissions, how they work, and why they are important now. First question, what are Claims Commissions? International Claims Commission or International Mass Claims Commissions are a unique and important form of international adjudication which is established to consider claims resulting from significant international war-related or traumatic historical events. Their principal but not sole aim is to determine compensation to individuals and states for certain losses, damages and injuries. IMCC short for International Mass Claims Commissions, are ad hoc bodies and their structure, jurisdiction, procedure and ability to provide remedy vary considerably. Indeed, there is no uniform formal definition of IMCCs. They make up an eclectic and unique group which share some important common characteristics. First, IMC are binding dispute resolution mechanism. Second, they are structured and act like judicial bodies. Third, they are created after an event of an international relevance. Fourth, they are international law instruments. Fifth, they engage the responsibility of states. And sixth, they are ad hoc institutions. Let's look into each of these elements a little more. International Claims Commissions are binding dispute resolution mechanisms. Decisions made by international commissions are judicial decisions and are binding on all the parties. IMCC, therefore, are not mediation or conciliation mechanisms, nor do they serve as advisory or review bodies. The instruments that create them typically contain a clause that binds their decisions on all the relevant parties. For example, the 2000 Algiers Agreement that created the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission states that the decision and awards of the commissions are final and binding, and that the parties agree to honor all decisions and to pay any monetary awards rendered against them promptly. The fact that IMCC are binding dispute resolution mechanisms does not, of course, mean that they are only dispute resolution mechanisms. Indeed, parties that create them for a variety of reasons. They are also instruments that serve to transition to peace after turmoil, and are often part and parcel of a more comprehensive peace process. Party also seeks to have a third and neutral body deciding claims that are politically or domestically sensitive, quite often. Second element. International mass claims commissions are structured and act as judicial bodies. IMCCs incorporate the essence of the principle of fair trial in their proceeding, their neutral and impartial bodies, and decisions are taken by an odd number of independent and impartial adjudicators decided by majority and in a timely fashion. Claims Commission guarantee fair proceedings where evidence can be presented equally by the parties and evaluated fairly by the tribunal. Very often, parties are represented by counsel. Proceedings must often include both a written and oral phase, and hearings are open to the parties and the representatives, uh, though they are most often held in camera. International claims commissions are created in the aftermath of an international upheaval. 
and are created as a consequence of an underlying action or event involving at least two states that provoked a set of related claims which the states themselves decided need to be remedied. Thus far, the events have included a revolution, like the 1979 Islamic Revolution in Iran, which overthrew the US-supported Shah. They've also included wars, such as the 1999 Eritrea-Ethiopia War, which resulted in substantial loss of life, personal injuries and damages to property in both Eritrea and Ethiopia, and a territorial invasion, that of Kuwait by Iraq in 1991. International mass claims commissions are created by international agreements. The kind and format of each international instrument can vary substantially, but the underlying factor is that they are all international agreements. For example, the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission was established by a bilateral agreement between Eritrea and Ethiopia, signed in 2000, witnessed by the President of Algeria and the U.S. Secretary of State. Differently, the United Nations Compensation Commission was created by a resolution of the United Nations Security Council in the aftermath of Iraq's invasion of Kuwait. Interestingly, the Iran-U.S. Claims Tribunal was established through agreements expressed separately by Iran and the U.S., which at the time did not have diplomatic relations, to the government of Algeria, and collected in the so-called Declaration of the Government of Algeria. Because these are international bodies, IMCC also share many of the structural characteristics of international organizations. So they are regulated under international law, they generally apply international law, and they, apply, they employ mostly international staff. The international nature of claims commissions is also important per se. In fact, in the aftermath of international turmoil, involved parties often have no trust in any of the parties' domestic system. And so they seek a neutral and super-partis entity that is capable of providing a venue for reconciliation and dialogue. International mass claims commissions engage the responsibility of the state as a sovereign entity and as a subject of international law. Thus, they only engage the responsibility of states for violation of international law. This means that they only review claims for damages, loss and injuries to individuals, states and international organizations which result from an international wrongful act of the state, consisting of either an action or an omission, and which constitute a breach of an international obligation of the state itself. Importantly, IMCC are not concerned with criminal responsibility of individu individuals that could arise from the same events. Criminal responsibility is generally dealt with separately, through a separate and distinct process. For example, in the aftermath of the Yugoslav conflict and the Rwanda genocide, the Security Council created by its own resolutions the International Criminal Tribunal for Yugoslavia and the International Criminal Tribunal for Rwanda. These tribunals were tasked with prosecuting individuals for specific violations of international criminal law, which is very different from the jurisdiction of international claims tribunals. Fifth, IMCC are ad hoc institutions. IMCCs are created for the specific purpose of resolving claims arising from a particular dispute or defined categories of disputes. They are created after a violent event that occurred and are dissolved after their functions are completed. Thus, they are retrospective, they are backward-looking. They are institutions with a docket that is fixed at the time of their creation. Mass Claims Commission are also different from standing international courts, for example, 
where, like the International Court of Justice, which has a prospective and open docket, unknown to the parties when they agree to be bound by the courts creating the instruments. That flexibility and ad hoc nature is the main strength of International Mass Claims Commission. After briefly introducing three recent examples of Mass Claims Commissions, I will then review the flexibility, this flexibility and see how it has been incorporated in the rules and procedures. As I said, International Mass Claims Commissions are distinct and unique instruments in international law. However, there are several other international and domestic mechanisms that may share some of the characteristics or elements of Mass Claims Commission. For example, Mass Claims Commissions may be similar to Mass Claim processes in the sense that they are ad hoc systems. They decide or are a considerable number of often complex claims. However, Mass Claims Commissions may also employ Mass Claims procedures, but they don't necessarily do so. For example, while some of the claims adjudicated by the UNCC use mass claims methodologies, neither the Iran-US Claims Tribunal nor the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commissions have availed themselves of such procedures. At times, international claims commissions are created in parallel with other international criminal courts and tribunals. For instance, several real property claims processes ran in parallel to the ICTY, including the Bosnia-Herzegovina Commissions for Real Property Claims or Displaced Persons, established in the 1995 Dayton Peace Agreement. International mass claims tribunals are also different from truth and reconciliation commissions which are also typically created after a violent international domestic event that significantly impacted a state. The fundamental function of this commission, however, is to provide an instrument of reconciliation and closure to the parties involved, which is quite different from the fundamental nature of mass claims tribunal, which are adjudicated bodies and are therefore different from truth and reconciliation commission. They provide mostly monetary remedies. The history of International Mass Claims Commissions is rooted in post-conflict compensation mechanisms. The development in their present form corrected some of the presumptions that only provided for victor compensation for war damages. As such, Mass Claims Commissions, International Mass Claims Commissions, largely replaced arbitration by single persons, generally head of state, and mixed arbitral tribunals and introduce judicial elements in the resolution of the disputes in terms of procedures, due process, and the right of all parties to be heard. Historically, International Claims Commission saw their first iteration in the, in the 1794 J Treaty between the US and the UK, which established two commissions to resolve claims of British merchants against the US and American ship owners against the United Kingdom. In the 19th and 20th centuries, claims commissions became a leading method of peaceful settlement of international disputes, and indeed, in that period, more than 90 claims commissions were created after wars or revolutions by affected states to decide claims arising from either international or domestic conflict during which aliens suffered damages. These include claims commissions created to settle claims against France after the Napoleonic Wars, Claims commissions were also established to deal with claims between the US and Mexico, and in many instances in Latin America, including in Chile, Venezuela, and Peru. 
Claims commissions were also created to decide damages arising out of the First World War. The Treaty of Versailles, which ended the war, provided for the creation of a reparation commission to establish the amount that Germany had to pay France, the UK, and the other Allied powers. The use of mixed claims commissions though declined after World War II. In particular, countries were weary of the fact that the payment of heavy reparations had cost to Germany and the reparations provided in the Treaty of Versailles were seen as one of the indirect causes of World War II. Reparations after World War II were negotiated bilaterally with Germany and no general claims commissions was established. Recently, however, there have been a renewed interest in claims commissions and three very important claims commissions were created. The resurgence of the claims commission mechanisms occurred with the establishment of the Iran-US claims tribunals in 1981, followed by the United Nations Compensation Commissions in 1991, and the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission in the year 2000. I will describe this briefly. But first I would like to note that the development of modern claims commissions learned from the experience of the past and so that the essence of post-conflict dispute resolution mechanisms were maintained while new judicial elements were also introduced. So as I mentioned, the first new International Claims Commissions is the Iran-US Claims Tribunal, which was established to decide claims and counterclaims of nationals of the United States against Iran, and claims and counterclaims of nationals of Iran against the United States, and claims and counterclaims of the United States and Iran against each other, arising out of contractual agreements between them for the purchases and sale of goods and services. Overall, almost 4,000 claims were filed, in award and agreed terms terminated 2,300 claims for less than $250,000 in 1990. Iran filed 53 claims against the U.S. and the U.S. filed 24 claims against Iran. The Iran-United States Claims Tribunal is the first modern example of international claims adjudication program. It was created through indirect negotiation between Iran and the U.S. and it still sits now in The Hague. It is operating as an independent arbitral body and is composed of nine judges. Three are selected by the United States, three from Iran, and three judges, including the president, from other countries appointed by, the part, by party appointed members, or if they cannot agree, by the tribunal's appointing authority. The tribunal decides cases by majority of either one of three, three members' chambers or by the full tribunal. The jurisdiction of the tribunal includes private claims of U.S. nationals against Iran and of Iranian nationals against the U.S. arising out of debts, contracts, expropriation, or other measures that affect property rights. Claims under $250,000 were defined as small claims, um, and 2,800 small claims were filed. About 1,000 large claims were filed and decided by 2003. Overall, the United States-Iran Claims Tribunal has awarded more than $2.5 billion in awards to U.S. nationals and companies. The Tribunal also has jurisdiction over official claims between Iran and the U.S. based on contractual arrangements for the purchase of sales and goods and services. The U.S. filed 24 cases and Iran filed 53 cases. 72 of those claims have been decided 
and the remaining cases are all by Iran against the United States and are still pending and actually be heard as we speak in The Hague. Very interestingly, the Tribunal decided to use arbitration rules of the United Nations Compensation and International Trade Law, or UNCITRAL, as modified by the government and the Tribunal. The cost of running the Tribunal itself is split equally between the two parties. But under the Ajir Accord, Iran agreed to place $1 billion in an account as security for a payment and keep the account at $500 million until all awards against Iran were satisfied. This is a unique mechanism and simplified the enforcement of awards and made payments possible. The Tribunal continues to work in The Hague and is the longest-running international commission in history. Its achievements have been many. Despite the persistence of tensions between Iran and the US, the Tribunal has accomplished the task of resolving by binding arbitration the great majority of disputes that it was mandated to resolve. The awards have been respected and enforced, though its low space and difficult relations between Iran and the US sometimes have impacted the work of the Tribunal. However, the Tribunal remains a successful example of International Claims Commission, this also sets a useful example for the creation of future mass claims commissions and provides initial guidance for possible structure and procedure for future similar mechanisms. The second recent important example of claims commission is the United Nations Compensation Commission. In the wake of the successful uh, creation of the Iran-US Claims Tribunal, the United Nations decided to create a compensation commission to process and pay claims compensation for a variety of losses resulting from Iraq's invasion of Kuwait in August 1990. The task was monumental, and the Commission processed about 2.7 million claims, seeking more than 350 billion in compensation from a variety of claimants between 1991 and 2005. Similarly to other mass claims commissions, the root of the creation of the UNCC, the United Nations Compensation Commissions, then are found in a violent international event, when Iraq invaded Kuwait and started a seven-month occupation of that country. The invasion and occupation caused great destruction to property and natural resources and resulted in the death and injury of thousands of Kuwaitis and foreign civilians and in fleeing of about 300,000 foreign workers from Kuwait. The UNCC was created in the aftermath of the invasion as a subsidiary organ of the Security Council by Resolution 687 of the Security Council. The resolution provided that as a result of its unlawful invasion and occupation of Kuwait, Iraq was liable under international law for any direct loss, damage, including environmental damage and the, and the depletion of natural resources or injury to foreign governments, nationals, and corporations. The resolutions also contain the basic framework for the establishment and the jurisdiction of the UNCC. It also created a special fund to be funded with a percentage of the value of Iraq's petroleum and petroleum products exports. The creation of the fund permitted a payment of all the claims and covered all the costs of the UNCC. The UNCC was given an unusually extensive jurisdiction which included claims for individuals who were forced to leave Iraq or Kuwait as a result of the invasion, individual claims for serious personal injury or death, and individual claims for losses. It also included claims for, by corporations and other private and public enterprises, 
as well as claims from governments in the region, including that of Iran, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Syria, and Kuwait, and as international organizations. Overall, about 2.7 million claims were filed with the Commission and asserted a value of 352 billion. The Commission concluded claims processing in 2005 and awarded compensation of about 52 billion to approximately 1.5 million successful claimants. The UNCC has so far paid 47.8 billion in compensation, and the remaining amount of 4.6 billion pertains to one single claim awarded to Kuwait for the production and sales losses resulting from damages to Kuwait's oil fields assets. The administration of such a vast program required the establishment of a large administrative structure which comprised three organs. The Governing Council, whose membership mirrored that of the Security Council, was the principal organ responsible of the general policy and legal framework. The commissioners, that are nominated by the UN Security um, Secretary General upon recommendation by the Executive Secretary of the UNCC, who sat in panels of three members to consider and render recommendation on claims in, speci in specific categories of claims. And finally, the Secretariat, headed by the Executive Secretary, which supported the work of both the Governing Council and the Commissioners. The Secretariat was headquartered in Geneva, Switzerland, and its peak comprised 250 staff members. The legacy of the UNCC is substantial. It was able to administer a large amount of claims in a relatively short amount of time. It was the first example of a successful mass claims procedure which provided compensation to thousand foreign workers who had to flee the region. The UNCC was, however, very much objected by Iraq, which saw it as an unreasonable imposition by the international community. This was especially true until 2003, when a US-led coalition invaded Iraq and deposed Saddam Hussein. The new coalition-backed government collaborated more with the UNCC. Moreover, in the claims decided in that period, which were considered to be large and complex, Iraq had more extensive access to counsel, and decisions were taken after all parties were heard. A third example of recent Claims Commission is that of the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission, which is also the most recent. It was created in the year 2000 as a part of the peace agreement between the two countries. The ECC resembles clauses in international tribunal, and in that sense is very different from both the Iran-US Claims Tribunal and the UNCC. It was also, though, tasked with administering claims arising from the violation of international law including humanitarian law by Eritrea and Ethiopia. The EECC was established under the auspices of the Permanent Court of Arbitration, which served as its registry and maintained the Commission's files and managed communications between the Commission and the parties. The Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission used the staff of the PCA on a part-time basis instead of retaining its own staff. The EECC consists of five commissioners, Eritrea and Ethiopia appointed two commissioners each, and the fifth and presiding commissioner was selected by the four appointed commissioners together. The Algiers Agreement mandated the ECC itself to adopt its own rules of procedure based on the 1992 PCA Arbitration Operational Rules for Arbitration Disputes between two states. After consultation with the parties, the Commission adopted its rules of procedures in October 2001.
The parties agreed to split the cost of the commissions equally. The commission was based in The Hague, and could at its discretion hold hearings and conduct investigations in the territory of the parties or in any other location as it deemed expedient. The Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission issued its first judgment on jurisdiction and procedure in 2001, and several partial awards on the merits in 2003-2005, and the final awards on damages in August 2009. Decisions could be made by majority, but were, as a matter of course, made unanimously. In the partial awards, the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission dealt with a variety of issues, including the treatment of prisoners of war, internees and civilians, the legality of certain means and methods of warfare, the treatment of diplomatic premises and personnel, and the looting, seizure, and unlawful destruction of private property. The damage awards order the payment of compensation of about 161 million to Eritrea and about 2 million to Eritrea nationals. And um, Ethiopia was awarded 174 million. The accomplishment of Eritrea-Ethiopia claims commissions are not small. The Commission was tasked with the, with the assessment of very complex and delicate claims originating from the law of wars. It did so carefully and expeditiously. The work of the Commission surely also contributed to the maintenance of peace between Eritrea and Ethiopia, who had previously fought a very hard war. Still, the ECCC was not immune from criticism. Indeed, the most controversial act was probably its decision to issue an award on the use ad bellum, which it found Eritrea had violated. The decision was criticized as overstepping the Commission's mandate. Additionally, the award has not so far been paid, though neither party is demanding such payment at the moment. In addition to three, these three main examples, other International Compensations Commission have been created recently. For example, the Commission for the Real Property Claims for Bosnia-Herzegovina, established by the General Framework Agreement for Peace in Bosnia-Herzegovina and former Republic of Yugoslavia, the Dayton Accord. The Housing and Property Claims Commission, established in part of the former Yugoslavia for the purpose of adjudicating individual claims to property. And the Holocaust Claims, which refers to the collective of claims arising from the Holocaust commit, committed in Germany during the Nazi regime. It includes claims of restitution for monies from, among others, Swiss banks uh, held in accounts and life held in, in Swiss accounts and life insurance claims that were in place before the Holocaust and from German corporations that benefited from the forced slave labor of the Holocaust victims. In addition to these three. Uh, mass claims commissions, others have been recently established, including the Commission for Real Property Claims for Bosnia-Herzegovina, CRPC, established by the Dayton Accord, and the Housing and Property Claims Commission, HPCC, established in parts of former Yugoslavia. This gives a little introduction about mass claims commission and how they work. It is interesting to see now how that flexibility of Claims Commission, that is proper to Claims Commission, actually is really the unique feature. And this is very much the case in terms of the flexibility of determining claimants, types of claims, and in relation to evidence. I would like to discuss briefly these issues before giving some concluding remarks. First, in terms of claimants, most Claims Commissions 
have the possibility of, of hearing many different kinds of claimants. These include states, individuals, and in some instances, international organizations and companies. All the, the Iran US State Claims Tribunal, the UNCC, and the Eritrea Ethiopia Claims Commission all allowed states to file claims on their own behalf for losses and injuries that they had suffered. Claims from states, either on their own behalf or on behalf of their nationals, are the traditional form in which compensation is awarded in international law. And the Article 2 of the Claim Settlement Declaration in the Iran US Claims Tribunal. U.S. and Iran could, uh, could file official claims against each other based on contractual arrangements between Iran and the U.S. Initially, all interstate claims were assigned to the full tribunal, but Presidential Order No. 1, though, state claims were then generally assigned to individual chambers. Under the United Nations Claim Commission, the mandate included, government that included the fact that governments could submit claims to the Commission itself. Note that the framework of the UNCC, however, is somehow atypical, because it is not based on a bilateral agreement signed in the aftermath of a bilateral war, but it, it arises from a Security Council resolution, which included uh, a variety of actors. Under Decision 10 of the United Nations Claims Commission Governing Council, governments were entitled to submit claims directly and on behalf of their nationals or residents. Category F of the claims were reserved for claims by government, and claims were submitted directly by 43 governments and six international organizations for a total requested amount of over $236 billion. More than 400 claims were submitted in this category, including by Australia, Germany, India, Iran, Israel, Jordan, Kuwait, Pakistan, Turkey, Saudi Arabia, Syria, the United Kingdom, and the United States. Claims were filed for losses that included damages to diplomatic premises and governmental premises, losses due to evacuation costs and the provisions of relief to citizens. Several claimants also filed claims for environmental damages and the depletion of natural resources, a first in international law. Overall, the total awarded sum was of for, uh, for, oh, for over $14 billion. Under the Algier Agreement, they regulated the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission. The ECC was part of the effort of the two governments to address the negative socio-economic impact of the war on civilian population, and especially those who were deported. The work of the EECC focused on damage, damages caused by war activities, including injury to civilian population, including physical and mental abuses, looting and destruction of private and public property, destruction of cultural property, displacement of people, injuries suffered by prisoners of war. The cost of military operations, however, preparing for military operation and the use of force could not form part of the claim under the framework agreement. Both Eritrea and Ethiopia submitted claims also for damages and losses to large sections of the population as their own claims. They were not the typical individual claims which were received as spousal by a state, but actual state claims submitted on the state's own behalf. 
This was noted, for example, by the Commission on, on the Treatment of Prisoners of, of War by both Eritrea and Ethiopia. In two parallel cases, the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commission found both parties liable in matters of prisoners of war treatment. Specifically, Eritrea was found liable for failure to provide adequate medical care to Ethiopian POWs, while Ethiopia was found liable for failure to release a repatriate Eritrean POWs. In addition to claims submitted by states, mass claims commissions allow individuals as claimants. And this is poss possibly the more interesting part of, for, from an international legal point of view. Indeed, individuals are the ones who most likely suffer the most extensive injury and losses during the upheaval that resulted in the establishment of a claim commission. So it is significant to ensure that they are also the ones that are compensated for loss and injury. Under the Iran-United States Claims Tribunal, individuals, both natural and legal, had immediate access to the tribunal and could submit a claim directly. Under the Claim Settlement Declaration, the Iran-United States Claims Tribunal was established to decide claims of nationals to the United States against Iran and claims of nationals of Iran against the United States. The tribunal was also open to counterclaims arising from the same contract, transaction, or occurrence that constituted the subject matter of that claim. Under the framework created by the United Nations Claim Commission, only government and international organizations were entitled to submit claims. However, the individual could submit their, their claims through their states and through their states of nationality or residency. Governments were responsible for submitting claims on behalf of corporations and other entities incorporated or organized under the law of that state at the time the claim arose. To make sure that individuals are properly compensated, the Governing Council of the United Nations Claims Commission adopted several major decisions. First, it granted priority to small individual claims. Then, it adopted mass claims methodologies that allowed expeditious review of the claim. And finally, it established specific payment processes for individual claimants. First, it is important and groundbreaking decision. The Governing Council decided to prioritize the processing and payment of certain individual claimants, which they were called category A, B, and C, and decided to process on an urgent basis the claims of individuals who were forced to leave Iraq or Kuwait because of Iraq's invasion, claims of individuals who had suffered serious personal injuries, or of individuals whose spouse, child, or parent died because of the invasion, and finally the claims of individuals who suffered personal losses of up to $100,000. This decision, very much seen as a humanitarian decision, indicated an important shift of the traditional practice of previous International Mass Claims commissions, including as seen, as seen the United States uh, Claims Tribunal, which United States-Iran Claims Tribunal, which focused first on losses suffered by governments. Small and urgent individual claims made up a substantial number of all cases resolved by the UNCC but they were all for a small amount. They were capped at $2,500 per person or $10,000 per family. The NCC decided also for, decided not to have a detailed individual review because it was neither warranted nor feasible. And 
Small urgent claims were reviewed using mass claim processing and computerized methodologies. Certain individual claims could also be submitted by international organizations. This was particularly helpful for the case of Palestinians' claims, which were submitted by UNRWA and the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees. A final precedent-setting decision by the UNCC related to the way compensation was paid to the final individual successful claimant. The methodology employed by the UNCC ensured, through several steps, that the payment was actually delivered by the state to the named individual to whom it had been awarded. The rule of procedures of the Eritrea-Ethiopia Claims Commissions also provided for the possibility of submitting two kinds of, cl of claims, individual claims and mass claims. However, the parties decided not to use mass claim procedures and there were only very limited individual claims that were filed. In addition to individual claims, under certain circumstances, some of these claims commissions were also uh, accessible to other claimants, including corporations for the UNCC and the Iran-US Claims Tribunal, and also international organizations, also for the UNCC. To conclude, mass claims commissions are really a unique and important form of international adjudication established to consider claims resulting from significant international war-related and traumatic historical events. Mass claims commissions are an eclectic group which share important common characteristics, as we've seen. This flexibility allows them to be responsive to new situations and address problems differently. At present, using international claims commissions could be explored in a variety of different circumstances including to grant access to international jurisdiction to the individual in a variety of ways, or also to provide compensation for injuries related to climate change. On a final note, international mass claims commissions can only be successful if they have the full backing of the international community, where financial compensation also exists. That said, IMCC are important dispute resolution mechanisms which are worth exploring. Thank you.